Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. I'm Tim. I'm Nick. Today we are going to talk about film news. We're also going to do a summer movie wager update, because I always forget to say that at the beginning. We're going to do a quick new game suggested by listener Yoop. And then we are going to do a full review of The Fisher King, starring uh, Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges, directed by Terry Gilliam. Uh, as always, find all of our episodes and full show notes at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Please write us some feedback and send it to feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Follow us on Twitter at MFN Podcast. It's also where you can find us on Instagram. Uh, look for us on Facebook, Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. And finally, you can give us a call, 248-7335-MFN which is 248-7335-636. Headed right into our summer movie wager update, we had some surprising and happy news this weekend, as Guardians of the Galaxy is number one at the box office because Sin City bit it that hard. It did. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Has that ever happened before? I don't... Maybe, but I don't know. I don't know if there's any precedent for it. But I, th- I think, like, Avatar did it. Probably. I want to say Avatar. That is interesting. Yeah. So... Guardians of the Galaxy had $17.2 million, followed by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with $16.7 million, and If I Stay in third with $15.7 million. Since he opened it fourth? No, since it opened with it like, like $7 million, didn't it? It, it? Worldwide, it's at $10 million. <laughs> Turtles is still nipping at the heels of Guardians. Though. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's Domestically. Interesting. We yeah. also got the news that, and I looked at, I looked at it historically today, uh, Transformers has never been the top movie of the summer. In, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So we should have a little more faith in the U.S., apparently. Because Guardians is already beating Transformers 4 in the U.S. That's just true. think, just think, like, imagine, I was thinking about this, imagine if Turtles and Transformers were good. I like, know. how much money they would make. They oh, would yeah. make so much more money. Oh, oh, yeah. It's crazy to me, because they're that, not... And that's, I don't, that's some real incentive. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, we make a lot of money. Whoa, what if we make but, our movies what if, good? What if, what if... If Transformers was good, they lose out on the audience that likes them the way they are. But who does? I've never met... I've met people that like the first Transformers, but I don't know how many people I've met that are like, I love the Transformers movies. I told somebody at work today that Transformers 4 was bad, and they were surprised and not happy. Oh, really? Yeah, but because they like them the way they are doesn't mean they won't like them if they're better. That's true. Yeah. But I'm... But I'm... My... 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 my my, I'm positing the idea that what if they alienate that audience that currently likes it by making it a good movie? Then they have Transmorphers. Ooh, I like that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Asylum will. Yes, Asylum will swoop in and they will, start making. They will, they will take care of the. They'll movie. save the day. All right, on to the top ten. Transformers: Age of Extinction at the top with one billion sixty-five million point one sixty-five point one million dollars. Maleficent has taken second place away from Days of Future Past with $747.6 million. Don't get them. X-Men's at number three with $744.7 million. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is in four with $708.3 million. How to Train Your Dragon 2 is at number five with $572.8 million. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is at number six with $554.9 million. Godzilla's at number seven with $508.0 million. Guardians of the Galaxy is at number 8 with $489.1 million. Edge of Tomorrow, or Live, Die, Repeat, is at number 9 with $364.1 million. And 22 Jump Street is at number 10 with $308.4 million. You know, it's, it's, you know, that's a pretty solid top 10 of it's movies. It's not bad. Like, that's a pretty good group of movies for no, a top 10. 
That's it's in summer. It's yeah. not. It's it's. We didn't have a terrible summer for movies, right? Except no. for the fact that Transformers is up there. But uh, as above, so below, and the November Man are out this Labor Day weekend in the United States, and that brings us to the end of our films for the summer movie wager. Oh. As always, we give it another month for money to keep accruing. I'm sure Guardians is going to move up, and I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, some other things end up shifting a little bit. So we'll see how it goes. I was going to start getting together the scoring sheets just to see where people are, you know... At right now. At right now, but uh, I don't know if I'll actually announce that. I still never revealed whose list was written. Like, I, I didn't put the lists out anywhere, anywhere but... I don't know. We'll see. I'll decide what I'm gonna. Can do. we give Can we give an award for like the absolute worst, li- the one that just totally biffed, the Sin City two of summer movie wager lists? We'll f- we'll I see. might be up there. We'll see. The, we'll see. Mine's not even close. Uh, uh. We'll see who it is. <laughs> kind of hope it's me. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm sure Nikki would like to take the uh, reins back. Yeah. She, she was she was low in the first couple of years. I don't think she'd have been last. She had Hercules, but I think she was close. She? No, no, I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, she'll figure it out. We are going to go right into some film news. Uh, so we've had a lot of people passing away this year. I watched the the Emmys were last night, and I watched the In Memoriam, and there were. It's been a pretty bad year for death, celebrity death. <laughs> <laughs> well, a good year for death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Reaper's been on the on the warpath lately. Uh, we also lost last week Lauren Bacall, who's you know pretty major in in the movie scene mm-hmm. back in the day. Oh, and yeah. uh, as of a few days ago, we lost Richard Attenborough at the age of ninety. Very sad. Uh, probably most popular now for his role in uh, Jurassic Park oh, yeah. as uh, Richard Hammond. John Hammond. John Hammond. Excuse me. Richard Hammond is one of the hosts of Top Gear. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Attenborough did not play <laughs> that character. So in the um, pilot episode, it was, actually, it was actually Richard Attenborough's John Hammond's top gear. Yes. I would watch that. Um, <laughs> Bottom gear. Anyway, I you know I know uh, Jurassic Park is close to many of our hearts, and uh, that's very sad. Does anybody? Anybody else, like, have anything else that they really love Richard Attenborough for? I just want to say that uh, Colin Trevorrow posted, like, the coolest yeah. thing ever on Twitter. And it was this, ep- it's this epic statue of John Hammond that's in, Jura- in the Jurassic World movie. It's, like, standing outside the visitor center or something. It's, yeah. like, a bronze statue, and he, like, posted it the day that he died. And I'm like, is it actually, like, a plot point in the movie? It's in, like, it's on the set. Oh. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. So it was cool because I think they knew, apparently he'd been in like some really bad health for the last couple of years. He was really going downhill. So they knew that they weren't going to be able to use him for the movie. The movie. So they, I'm assuming, killed they just, his character. They just have to cast him in Amber and then <laughs> some years down the line. <laughs> Amazing. We can recreate John, oh my John God. Hammond. Half dinosaur, half John Hammond. <laughs> I've watched that. Clone many too. John Hammonds. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so that's that's quite sad. And, yeah. Uh, but 90, 90s is I was gonna say, a pretty full life. It's a good life. Yeah, good life. So. Um, he directed this movie called Magic with Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And I did not actually realize he directed it, but I had seen it a while ago. It's this old uh, 1970s movie. It's a horror movie. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weirder it's thing, but um, uh, Anthony Hopkins plays a ventri- ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. And, oh my god! What? Yeah, and his dummy is kind of like possessed and stuff. And it this sounds great. It's really, it's really fun. <laughs> it's really fun, and it's kind of forgotten. But he directed it, so I wanted to put that out there. People, cool. also, 
always forget he's a director. Yeah, yeah, he like did Chaplin Gandhi. and Gandhi yeah. are both really well yeah. directed films. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the original uh, Flight of the Phoenix too, which is a very cool mm-hmm. movie. Not the remake, not so good. <laughs> he was Giovanni Ribisi, right? Yes, he was he played the same character. Yeah, yeah. He was replaced by Tyrese in the remake. I think they still have, they still had beef up until the last moment. Um, no, it's uh, he was. You know, John Hammond was like. I remember there are two characters from my childhood that were like granddads for me, like cinema granddads. It was John Hammond and uh, the toy, the Duncan from Duncan's Toy Chest and Home Alone oh, Two. Yeah. Those two, I was like, I want those two to like read me stories and stuff when I was a little kid. So. <laughs> Boss. Oh, oh and man. what is that guy's name? And I guess uh, Peter Falcon, Princess Bride too. Wow, so. definitely. Those three were like, you know, like the the coolest old men in cinema for me. So it's a Absolutely. bummer. Really you know, John Hammond was a really because obviously we all grew up watching Jurassic Park and loving it. And uh, when it was re released in theaters, uh, was that a year ago? Two years ago? Two two years ago. Ish. We reviewed it within, on the yeah podcast. within the last two years. Um, I hadn't seen it in. A very long time. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, the movie took on a whole different meaning for me. Yeah. But his character in particular, yep. he I realized suddenly the 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 power of that of his acting ability. Because he has that that line that he twists on its head, the spared no expense, is so good and I realized I was like, Wow, this is actually the best line in this movie. Yeah. And the way he the way he twists it there and, and uh, towards the end of the movie, I was like, Wow, this is actually a really heartbreaking character. And as a kid, you're just like, oh, dinosaurs! And, and you, you miss all the yeah, like one of the, the really important going on. one of the really important scenes with him. He's sitting there eating a bunch of ice cream. So like as a kid, yeah. you're like look at all that ice cream that's like gonna get wasted. That is such an amazing scene too. Yeah. And as a, I literally did not remember that scene because yeah. like as a kid, you're just like, where's the dinosaurs? Because you know the raptors are coming up yeah. in a little bit, and that's all you can think about. But that when we saw it in the theater, it was literally like like the first time I'd ever seen that scene, and it mm-hmm. was just amazing. Totally. So good, good job, Richard. All right, rest in peace, Richard Attenborough. Um, next up on the docket, we've got a full cast for uh, Andy Serkis' directorial debut, Jungle Book Origins. The other Jungle Book movie. Yes, the other Jungle Book movie coming out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, or coming out soon. What's the other one? There's oh, the... Favreau? Yeah. Yeah, Favreau. Oh, that's... Okay. So we've got uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Shere Khan, Kate Blanchett as Ka... Sinister Snake, mm-hmm. Christian Bale as the cunning panther Bagheera, Andy Serkis as the wise bear Baloo, Peter Mullen as the leader of the wolf pack Akila, Tom Hollander as the scavenging hyena Tabakwi. <laughs> I don't know how to say any of these names. I think I have a container of that in my fridge right now. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi Harris as Nisha, the female wolf who adopts the baby Mowgli as one of her cubs, Eddie Marsan as Nisha's mate Vihan, Jack Rayner as Mowgli's brother. Uh, Brother Wolf, and then on the human side, Rohan Chand, a uh, kid from The Hundred Foot Journey and Bad Words. Oh, he's, oh awesome. he's the best. The kid from Bad Words, he's he's quite good, so he's going to play Mowgli. Um, yeah, so Andy Serkis directing this movie, it's directorial debut. Is it all mocap then? I mean, in terms of the animal performances, I'm assuming that... I'm not certain, but... I assume he's his modus. Yeah. So his bread and butter. So. Heavily, heavily, uh, yeah. That's interesting. I like I like like ninety percent of that cast. I'm not so sure about Christian Bale's Bagheera. He's Bagheera is like my favorite character in that book. And, Which one's Bagheera? Uh, the Black Panther. Oh, How do you not okay. have like Jimin Hunso play that fucking character? That <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, look at him. He's a Black. So we're Panther. saving him for the Marvel Black Panther. Yeah, that's probably. What well, if he does him in his fighter character? Now, who who are the who are the counterparts in the Favreau one? Do we know? Um, really as our, they announced as our the, Jungle Book expert. <laughs> they, they announced cast. Right? They announced cast, but they didn't. I don't think they said specifically who was playing who. 
Um, right. I know you're that, right. You're right. Yeah, I know um, Idris Elba's in there. Um, Scarlett Johansson. Yep, Scarlett Johansson's there. I remember this from an old. This, this, it's also a very good. Cast. Well, we've got we've got names on IMDb, so I don't know. I don't know how true. What does it say on IMDb? Just like so Scarlett Johansson is Ka, Idris Elba is Sher Khan, Bill Murray is Baloo, Christopher Walken is King Louis, Giancarlo Esposito is Aquila, Lupita Nyong'o is Rakcha. Ben Kingsley is Bagheera, and then Neil Sethi is Mowgli. I kind of like that. This that, is the superior cast, I think. That yeah. one yeah. So. But, but you know what? I, I can't wait to see these two bad boys go head-to-head. I'm excited. Bill Murray's blue. I mean, perfect. Whoa. <laughs> is John Favreau's just called The Jungle Book? Yes. I will go see that one, because Jungle Book Origins is the dumbest name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah. They're trending off of X-Men Origins. Yeah, because what a great movie. Made so yeah. much money. <laughs> The beginning of Jungle Book because we've never seen the beginning of Jungle Book. Before. Is there more Jungle Book? <laughs> Dawn of the Planet of the Jungle Book. Rise of the Jungle Book. Everybody needs to watch the Jason is, Scott Lee. Is Carrie Book. always in this? In one of these two? No. Carrie always uh, was in was in the in the nineties. I'm saying he yeah. come back. He was boss in that movie. I still too bad. I'm like dying to see that movie again. I have a copy on VHS because it's the only way you can get it. Um, it's the one Nikki has not yet gotten for you on DVD she, because it doesn't exist it's oh, out yeah. of print so there's copies on Amazon for like 90 some dollars I can't one, one day I can't do it but it, it, yeah I love that movie I'm excited for both of these actually I, they're both I mean they're both casts that I think will do different things I want to know what version of Jungle Book I used to watch as a kid because I have no idea but it was dark it was super dark it's probably the one with Carrie that one, I, that I don't think it had like, any human no. not many human actors it was largely animals wow and it was it was heavy. I don't know. I've got every version of the Jungle Book yeah. in my I'll closet. Over and we'll just marathon all the Jungle Dude, Books. Dude, let's do it. <laughs> Here we go. Bonus app. Bonus app. Bonus app. Jungle Books. Midwest Film Nerds Podcast Origins. Jungle Books Origins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got four copies of the one starring Sabu. So really, but that's the real Jungle Book Origins are those ones because they kind of started. That's it true. All. That is very true. All right, let's race through these last two. We've got a minute okay. piece. David Yates directing film adaptation spinoff of Harry Potter, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Considering cool. he directed all the ones that I didn't like in the Harry Potter franchise, I don't really give a shit. Pass. <laughs> I like it! <laughs> all right, <laughs> and finally, Dwayne Johnson will likely play either Shazam or Black Adam in a Shazam movie for DC. I want him to play both. I was, I was Both, please. Although I did see a thing on Reddit that said it said fan casting, can we please make this happen? And it was Shazam as played by Patrick Warburton, and I was like, oh my That's god, beautiful! That would be so funny. And then somebody else actually said to them, Rob Riggle is Shazam personified. I was like, whoa, that's actually really badass too. Rob, Rob Riggle. I was like, can you picture him in the big like red suit? Rob oh Riggle versus god. Patrick Warburton. No, I think the oh, Rock, I think the Rock is capable of playing both, and I think that would be really interesting, and it would be. Sweet. Let's down, down. I like it. <laughs> All right. He likes it. <laughs> so we are going to move on to our new game uh, brought to us by listener Yoop. I'm going to go to his Yoop. explanation that I sent you guys earlier just as uh, we've already read it on the podcast before. Yoop said, last but not least, I came up with a game you guys can play. Movie Trivia Tackle. That's what it is. Uh, all the players take five pieces of movie trivia from IMDb. The goal is for the others, others to guess which movie the trivia is from. If that's too long, you give the year of the movie, and the one with the most points wins. I, I try to keep track of points, but I never do it very well. So, I think we've all, all got different amounts of trivia items. So that's true, but it, you know, whatever. You will keep track. Of We're just having fun. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Contact us with who won. Yes, let us know. 
right the first time I've directly, indirectly interacted with Yoop on the podcast because I've been absent for so long. Yoop's yeah. a, Yoop's a cool exciting. G. He's a cool guy. Oh, yeah. His well, Yoop, Yoop was around back in the day. Like a yeah, long but time I don't ago. think he was like sending feedback. Yet. Yeah, I think he sent like one email. Yoop, your feedback is very good. Yes. Yeah, I like it a lot. Always appreciated. Okay, Willie, first up. All right. All of these actors that I'm about to list were considered for this role. It was the, the title role of this film. Okay. Ready? Mel Gibson, Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, and O.J. Simpson were all considered for the role. The role... The Terminator. Booyah! Terminator. Kevin Klein was considered for the Terminator, yeah, that's, guys. that's a weird... This is amazing! Can you imagine? It would be like romantic comedy, like Terminator. <laughs> um, <laughs> should I just go right through here? Yeah, we'll go through Willie's, because right. your phone's going to die. This series of films is largely based on Akira Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress. Star Wars. Yeah. Yep. That one's probably pretty easy. Um, <laughs> in spite of the events of this film and where it was set and filmed, New Hampshire is one of the few U.S. states to not have a zoo. This one's a little tricky. We bought a zoo. No. <laughs> zoo. Zoolander. <laughs> is it Babe? It is not Babe. It's Babe 2, Pig in the City. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go to uh, New so, Hampshire. This, this no is zoo. a zoo. Yes. A zoo is featured in the film, as is the state of New Hampshire. Hmm. Jungle Book. No. <laughs> Would you like New Hampshire? New Hampshire's Jungle Book begins. Um, Jungle Book Origins. Do you want the year? Yeah, might as well. 95. Jumanji? Yes. Ah. All right. I was going to say it, but then I don't remember a zoo okay. scene. Fantastic. Right. Okay. Um... Jack Nicholson received a percentage of the gross for this film, and due to its massive box office, took home around 60... All right. (laughs) Sorry. There you go. Um, Two actors have a standing invitation to host Saturday Night Live every year, if their scheduling permits. They have an invitation to host an episode every year. So we have to guess the actors. There are two actors. Alec Baldwin and Steve Martin. You got one of them, Alec Baldwin. Ben Affleck. Nope. Justin Timberlake? Nope. <laughs> Although he should be at it. He should. <sighs> Martin Short? Nope, not Martin Short. Will Ferrell? Mm-mm. This is also the only actor to have been on... S- to have hosted SNL enough times to have his own skit. Like, he has a recurring skit. Tom Hanks? Christopher uh, Walken? Christopher oh, Walken is the answer. Uh, Chris Walken and Alec Baldwin are, have been... They have a standing invitation every that's year beautiful. you can come by. can schedule... They need to get Walken back SNL. on there. Yep, exactly. That's amazing. That's my Alec Baldwin impression. All right. <laughs> um, some of you guys might know this because I talked about this. I think I've talked about this before, but... Um, this actor <laughs> moved in with John Candy's family after his death and lived with them to help him cope with the loss. Rick Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh. All right. All right. Awesome second guess, though. Tim. <laughs> All right, so What's just trivia? one piece of trivia, and then you're guessing? Yep. Okay. We'll go with this one first. Where'd it go? Where did you go? This is great That's work it. right now. <laughs> All right, we'll go with the one I remember. The, um, the main role was originally offered to The Rock, but scheduling with Hercules wouldn't Ooh. allow it. Um, the other Hercules? <laughs> um, the main role was off the rock. Interesting. Need for something speed. recent. Nope. That's a good guess. Um, Harry Paul, the rock. <laughs> uh, Could have gone in two directions. Sabotage? No. Was That's it probably expendables? true. 
Nope. We're going to recast Barney Ross. You know, I, I remember reading this. It's got to be something like this year-ish. Oh, man. Because if it was scheduled, if it completely... Maleficent? The lead role? Yep. Okay. No. Maleficent, right? Not Maleficent. Yes, yes. No? Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna... Godzilla? Nope. I'm going to give you another one. This is the fourth movie that John Goodman has been in that is based on a cartoon. Uh, Transformers, yep. Age of Extinction. Yep. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I was going to say Inside Lou and Davis. <laughs> <laughs> you picture The Rock singing folk. Uh, totally. That'd be pretty That'd beautiful. Be I kind of like giving a couple. I'm going to do this one. Um, this is 2010, so this gross. This parade listed this as the second biggest box office flop of 2010. Oh, man. This is really. Jonah Hex. That's not a good trivia. No. That's not a good trip. It's a comedy. I'll say that. Biggest flop. Of 2010. 2010. Yeah. It's probably an Eddie Murphy joint, right? Mm-mm. Oh, like Close. You're kind, of, you're kind of on the right track, though. The Love Guru? That was way before. You're still on the right track. So we're of. talking about washed up comedic actors here. Mm, I wouldn't say that. Oh, okay. I would say that they've Just been on the same show. Adam Sandler. Um, Going up uh, Jack and Jill. Nope. It's a good guess, though. Hollywood Homicide. Hollywood Homicide. <laughs> Always on the flops list. Yeah, it's up there. Man. This okay. is high up there, I mean down there. I'm going to give another clue here. Mm-hmm. If it's all right. Am I just going off for no, a minute? No, okay. um, The cast includes six active WWE wrestlers. Ooh, what? I don't know if anybody's... Oh, the Longest Yard. No. Nope. Uh, the Marine 2? No. Nope. Six active WWE wrestlers. It's a comedy. This is breaking my heart right with now. Wrestlers. Oh, here comes the boom. No, no that no, was more. That recent. was this year. No way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's one more here, guys. I think this is good. God, nobody's seen it, obviously, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Kristen Wiig shot her sex scene on her birthday. <laughs> nobody's seen this movie. This is depressing. Is it MacGruber? It's MacGruber. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I've not seen MacGruber. Um, We're sorry, Tim. Okay, that's fine. I'm sorry. I think I just sold it. That's, so. that's too bad it flopped that hard. It is too I bad. I love Little 14. <laughs> what it, wrestlers are in this movie? Uh, Chris Jericho, the great Kylie. It's amazing. It's, it's Steve McGruber. It's Steve McGruber. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I like Tim's format of this a lot more. I think yeah. it, I think it's good to kind of add in successive trivia. Yeah. I think it. Yeah, okay. I've got a TV show. Okay. Right now. Fair. This is It's an older TV show, but I think it... In the summer of 1976, the theme song to this TV show was a hit, hit single peaking at number five on the national charts. Wonder Woman? 76. Mm-hmm. The theme song. Think classic theme song. Oh, man. Um, Different strokes. Happy Days? Got it. Booyah. Nice. Oh, God. Where am I, where am I at now? Let's see. What I don't know enough about TV. That's at least three. Yeah, I'm weak on my TV pre Okay. That's more than three facts, but three points have been awarded so far from Tim. Okay. Um, where did I want to go with this one? The original name of this movie was called The Wonders. The Wonders. The Incredibles? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, man. X-Men? I'm going to call it The Wonders. <laughs> We're going to change the name. It's more marketable. I'm Tom Rothman. <laughs> um, Sick Tom Rothman dude. <laughs> he deserves a Tom Rothman slam out of nowhere. <laughs> Where did that come from? Um, man, uh, what, is it uh, Mystery Man? Nope. Mm, good guess. 
Am I on the right track with superhero-y? No. Thing? Really? Okay. This is about a, a, a Motown group then. Right. Probably. I mean, clearly. Well, I mean, it's, it's about a group. Oh, is it uh, that thing you do? Yes. All right. Uh, nice. nice. Okay. That's a great movie. I yes. want to do one more because okay. this is really tough too. I'm going to put that right. out there. That's all right. But this is my favorite piece of trivia so far. Okay. Oh, awesome. I, it says, Natal- or Naomi Watts is ashamed of this film. Oh, my gosh. Um, the Ring? No. It's not Mulholland Drive. She's probably proud of that. Um, Let's see if I King Kong? Know. No. Oh, my gosh. Is it... Um, is it Funny games? No. I'm surprised. This one's kind of tough. Oh, man. The Ring? The Ring 2? <laughs> she should be. But the Ring 2. The Ring 2 is a bummer. Um, <laughs> the Impossible? I'm going to give, give a big hint here. Sure. Like a hint? A medium, you got a medium hint? I got a medium hint. Okay. This might I'll take not, a medium hint. Not help at all. It's a, Alex. It's a movie based on a comic. A movie based on a comic? With Naomi Watts. Yeah. Is she in the movie? Yep. <laughs> man Thing? Is she a Man Thing? No. It'd be cool, though. It's um, a comic book movie that I haven't seen. She's yeah. not in Howard the Duck. Nope. She was a little, little too young for that. Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance? Nope. What is Naomi Watts in that's based on a comic? Oh, here's a good piece of trivia. Man. I'm just going to say them because... Um, three Spice Girls, Emma Bunton, Victoria Beckham, and Jerry Hollowell were tried out for the main role in this movie. Josie, Tank Girl. Josie and the Pussykins? Tank Girl. Tank Girl. Wow. Tank Girl Tank Girl movie sucks, but um, if you haven't read the comic, it's awesome. Yeah, the movie's kind of hilarious, too, though. Yeah. So just yeah. watch that. Ice Tease. Ice Tease, like a kangaroo person. Yes, Booga. Just yeah. watch it. A kangaroo person. <laughs> just, just watch it. <laughs> All right, Nick. Thanks. All right. He looks like a warrior of virtue. <laughs> oh, man. Warriors of virtue. Okay. Uh, all right. It is 25 minutes into the film before the lead character, who was in virtually every scene, utters his first full sentence. There will be blood. No. Uh, I just saw this one on the other. Drive. There's probably a lot of movies where this is applicable. Drive. No. Terminator Two. Mm-hmm. Damn it! What is it? God. Oh man. Wally. <laughs> no one talks in the movie the first hour. He says Wally, no. <laughs> first full sentence, Tim. Oh, good, the bad, the ugly. No, it's an Eastwood movie, though, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. <clears throat> Too bad. Hint: medium-sized hint. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. Man, let me get a year here for you guys. I never, I never want to say it right off because I think I know it. Come on, Sprint. <laughs> uh, 99 is the year. 99. 99. Jeez. Oh my god, I swear I saw this like two days ago. Equilibrium? No. That's a little later than 99. It's 01, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 99. To Matrix? No. No, he tell you. <laughs> That's all he says for the first time. You guys want the, the lead actor? Is it Ravenous? It is. Oh, nice. Can <laughs> <laughs> always count on some Ravenous in the next, in the next voice. Okay. Uh, the original title for this film was Star Beast. Oh, that's Alien. Alien. Yeah. Okay. That was probably too easy. I think we may have done that. Like, we may have. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to nix that. I might have, I might have used that before. Okay. This uh, count as a point for me. Don't count it. Don't count it, you. 
official scorekeeper of the Midwest Film Nights podcast. Uh, the director wrote the bulk of this movie's script during two weeks he spent at William H. Macy's cabin, <laughs> afraid to go outside because he'd seen a snake. <laughs> what? So, Tim, which movie did you direct? <laughs> oh my, this is amazing. It's gotta be a Coen brother, right? That seems like something they would be afraid of. You want, to, you want me to read it uh, one more time? Yeah, read it one more time. The director wrote the bulk of the script during two weeks he spent at William H. Macy's cabin, afraid to go outside because he'd seen a snake. P.T. Anderson. Are we naming the director or the movie? The movie. Oh, uh, Boogie Nights. You were correct about the director. Magnolia. The movie. Magnolia. Nice. Mm. <laughs> that was the director we were naming, I'm sorry. I can up. award a point to each. You... Make a note. <laughs> Two points. Yeah, you lost out on That's the true. Okay, yeah, but... Free point. Okay. Okay. I gotta get a point here. Uh, you may on this one, because... <laughs> Many actors, including Gene Simmons and David Lee Roth, were called in to do audio for this character. What? The character is also the name of the movie. The Incredible Hulk? No. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> nice guess, though. Oh, it was Gene Simmons and who? David, David Lee Roth. Lee Roth. <laughs> God. All I can think is that Smash Mouth, David Lee Roth. Howard the Duck? Osmosis Jones? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. I'm trying to think of. Monkey Bone? Man. Kill a Year? I like that. 2010. <laughs> What's happening? 2010. Voice. Many Wait. actors, including Gene Simmons and David Lee Roth, were called in to do this character. I was going to call it David Lee Roth at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know who should be getting it? was 2010, Tim. <laughs> there was still something in the well for David Lee Roth. For Diamond Dave. I am flabbergasted with this. Yeah. Uh, the, the sounding quote here, I'll, I'll add more of, of the quote. Of the trivia. Many actors, including Gene Simmons and David Lee Roth, were called in to do this character's howls. This character's howls? Wolfman? Yes. What? <laughs> what? I don't know. This is it. the best thing that ever happened. Holy, can you imagine if they hired David Lee Roth? Joe Johnston called David Lee Roth and was like, hey bro, will you come over and do some wolf howls? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 This happened. Let's, like when the South Park guys get George Clooney to do the dog. dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what is happening? <clears throat> that was your third. So you got two, two or three more. All right. I'm trying to think of how to remove uh, hints from this one. South Park is the best piece of trivia, I think. It's <laughs> winning. They, they won the competition. We're gonna name. Uh, we're gonna name. We're gonna. We're gonna. You could either name the director or the movie, and I'll, I'll, we'll award the point. At one point, the director and, and the actor... Well, I'll name the actor. At one point, the director and Jack Nicholson got into such a heated argument that the director smashed Nicholson's portable TV with a mop. <laughs> Nicholson used the TV to watch L.A. Lakers basketball games and kept stalling shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one flew over the cuckoo's nest? No. Okay. You can name either the, the, either, the director, either the director or the film. Okay. Tim Burton, Batman? No. No, it's, yeah, it's going to be later on, I feel like. If I had left out the actor name and just said L.A. Lakers games, you guys probably could have guessed the what, was it, uh Was it, um... Man. Martin Scorsese on Departed? No. I can see Martin just, like, smashing the hell of a TV. <laughs> oh, man. Smashed it, his portable TV with a mop. 
<laughs> About Schmidt? No. Damn. Was, was he in a David or Russell movie? <laughs> <laughs> was it David or Russell? I don't think so. No. Um, as good as it gets? Sorry, name Jack and I also movie. I don't know that director. Good, it was like James L. Brooks, wasn't it? Probably. <laughs> probably pretty mild manner. It was The Witches of Eastwick, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Was it Wolf? Are we, are we still on Wolf? Uh, no. Oh my I god. I should have had some Wolf trivia. Wolf yeah. Yeah. I should have just gone to the straight werewolf theme and seen <laughs> Spader v. Nicholson. I've never seen The Wolf Man. I don't know why I decided to look that <laughs> yeah. one. Well, that's really good trivia, though. That's yeah. true. That's I, true. I found a good piece and I went for it. Well. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a hard time with this one. This is tricky. Maybe Good year. Hard, uh, I can. Will you? I shall. <laughs> give, give, give me a minute. Give Sprint two minutes. <laughs> this episode of the Midwest Filmers podcast brought to you by uh, Sprint. Sprint. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Always making our lives easier here. <laughs> uh, 1974. Oh, okay. Chinatown. Correct. Yes, that sounds. Who directed right. Chinatown? Polanski. Polanski. Oh, Polanski. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a the feisty Polish. Jag off anyway. <laughs> Okay, um, I've got, I've got smash like the mop. Oh God, I've got so many, I've got so many good ones. Huh? Okay, I've got two more. One's one's quick, uh, and then my last one is my favorite. Uh, Willie will probably get this one right away, so maybe I shouldn't do that one. Might as well. There is a character named Mac and another character named Windows. This is purely coincidental. Oh, that's the thing. It is. See, mm. God, <laughs> Willie, you go ahead, give it to him. <laughs> Uh, oh. Okay. How many more? Two more? One more? <laughs> one more. One more. One more. Ooh, one more. I got right? Okay. Yeah. I, just, I gave us a five-minute extension. And then... we'll, we'll name. We'll name uh, the actor or the film. Amy Adams thought that Amy Adams admittedly thought he just looked so dashing on the set of this film that it made the director ask the actor to leave the set because he distracted Amy Adams too much. Oh, Man of Steel. I'm sure. No. Had to be Henry Cavill, right? No. Oh, I bet it was uh, her. I bet it was Enchanted. It was James Marsden. She's no, like, I can't but that's get on a, set with him. It that's, might be true. Also, it's a good fit. <sighs> this actor looked so dashing that he had to leave the set because it was distracting. I think Oscar-winning actress Amy Adams. Dashing. I love this trivia. Was she in a movie with Pierce Brosnan? Because that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> <November> Man. <laughs> <laughs> the Decemberman. <laughs> Oh man! I mean, dash. I don't like just naming, but who looks dashing in a movie? This is probably too vague. Not that naming the movie is going to help, but Amy Adams. You want the movie? You guys want him? No. Or do you want the year? Oh, we're we're doing the actor. This is the actor. You got to name the man so dashing. All right. He had to leave the Mm, set. All right. Ah. I guess we'll take the movie. Give me the year. Amy Adams admittedly (laughs) thought he just looked so dashing on the set of this 2008 film that it made the director ask. Him to leave the set because he distracted Amy too much. Was it uh, Matthew Good from Leap Year? No. No? He's not that dashing. It was like, oh no. Was it Patrick Dempsey? No, that's a different movie. You're, you're, weird. you're kind of in the right vein with, uh, with Matthew Good. Like, sort of. Except this guy outdashes him on every level. <laughs> <laughs> the film? Yeah. Yes? Uh, Miss Pettigrew lives for a day. Oh I my god. I told you it What? <laughs> I have no idea. Is Chris Evans in that? Or am I thinking of something else? I know. I'm thinking of something Frances else. McDormand's in that movie, right? It's not her. <laughs> She's not dashing enough. I have no idea who's in this movie. I'm totally stumped on this one. 
I have no idea. Yeah. This is an actor that has been mentioned more than once on the podcast. Oh, it's Lee Pace. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Adams admittedly thought he just looked so dashing that it made the director ask Lee to leave the set. <laughs> Can you get off the set, jerk? Leap out of here. Leap Ace. Leap Ace. All right. I wanted to say Tim hates this actor. For some <laughs> Nick and Alex are obsessed with this actor for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Alright, I'll try to make these quick. Uh, This is the first movie where Leonardo DiCaprio did not receive top billing in 16 years. Mm, Django. Yep, Django and Django. Oh, nice. Alright, the Spear of Destiny prop is the same one as used in Hellboy. Constantine. Yep. Uh, According to the director, one of his main (laughs) actors was so exhausted while filming the movie because it was shot digitally that he decided to leave jars of his urine around the set as a form of protest. In what? Uh, Avengers or one of the Iron Men's? Nope. Avengers. You got down. Nope. Um, wasn't KKB. Who's gonna shoot digital? Who's gonna shoot digitally? Early on. Early on, quote unquote. Was it? Would it be? Um, oh God. Kiss, kiss, oh Zodiac. 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 Oh my God! I got one. Yep. Nice. All right. Um, Daddy Pete on set. <laughs> that actually, he he does that on any movie that they shoot digitally, and still does it in protest. Makes so sense. I'm sure he did it during the Avengers. All right. Originally, <laughs> I'm just peeing the stars of set everywhere. Originally, Tarsem Singh was attached to direct with Nicolas Cage to star. However, the director said, "With Cage, I cannot make the film that I wanted to." Soon after Singh left the picture, Cage did as well. Oh God, I man, I, that's. Oof. I need a year on that one. Everybody want a year? Yeah. We got to make it quick. 2005. Did the God, movie, what was did the movie get made? The movie was made. Who starred in the role? Who's the lead? Eh. No? Not going to give that to you. I'll give you the director. Well, no. Not going to do that. <laughs> Hold on. O- o- 05. Was it made in 05? <laughs> I mean, did the, movie, did, the movie, did the movie come out in 05? The movie came out okay. in Okay. Was it Constantine? It was Constantine. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, and finally... Man, that would have been weird. Peter Jackson, Brian Singer, and Danny Boyle were all offered this film before the actual director took it. Who was the first Peter one? Jackson. Peter Jackson, Brian Singer, Danny Boyle. Two of the three read the book. Oh, boy. Uh, Girl Dragon Tattoo? No. Ender's Game? No. And none of the three took it? John Carter? None of those three took it. No. Peter Jackson, Brian Singer, Danny Logan's Boyle. Run? No. No, that didn't even get made. Mm-hmm. Well, the new one. Dune? Nope. Didn't drive? Nope. Uh, step up to the streets? I gave you a clue that it's a book. I know. I was being a dick. <laughs> step up to my I'll give you another one. The author of the book thought the movie was way better than his book. <laughs> the Road? Nope. The best. Carl McCarthy? <laughs> no Country? Nope. Hmm. Want the director? The director's uh, gonna give it away. I don't know, man. You're hitting the gas there. Fisher King. Nope. I was saying, not that was close. I wanted to have one, but I didn't. I thought somebody would. Yeah. Oh, goddamn. We're gonna have like 10 minutes to review the Fisher King. <laughs> Is the book considered by most to be better than the movie? And most people say that. Mm-hmm. Or the movie better than the book, rather? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I have no idea. I know what I believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a book out. 
I love how Alex strong is, Alex is. Alex is really I've read a total books. of three books. Yeah. God. The Fault in Our Stars? No. Haven't read that book. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, hit us, director. It's gonna give it away. Do you want the year? Yes. The yeah. year's gonna give it away. <laughs> well, give us something, Alex. <laughs> 1999. Prince. Yep. No. <laughs> Purple Rain. <laughs> oh, do you read Fight Club? Yes, Fight uh, Club. Club. I was just asking if you read it. Yes, so I, I was just curious. Read, <laughs> I have read the book Fight Club, Tim. <laughs> All right, very good. That was fun. I think I do like Tim's formatting of it quite a bit. I think kind of gradually it it gives it a little bit more oomph. Oh god! And gradually I mean, adding like in vaguer hints that slowly close in on narrative. Yeah, hints. yeah. So I, I, I like, or at least kind of, it, they don't even have to be vaguer hints, but just adding in a second hint for the same movie to kind of give you more information across cross reference. Mm. I, I, I don't know, I don't know what you mean, but we'll talk about it. Just like, <laughs> multiple. I can't hints. put I can't put Tim in a box. I can't quite <laughs> Tim in a box. multiple pieces of trivia yeah. for one movie. Okay, coming at it from different angles. Yeah, yeah. I see. All right, uh, that leads us to our full review. Do we want to take a break? We good? Hell no. Let's go. Alright, we're going we through it. This. That brings us to our review of Terry Gilliam's The Fisher King, starring Jeff Bridges, uh, Robin Williams, uh, Amanda Plummer. Uh, I think they're the biggest. David Hyde Pierce is in it. David Hyde Pierce is in it. Mercedes Rule. Ruel. Yeah. Um, so, this is a movie, you know, we didn't really have anything that we wanted to see in theaters this week, and Robin Williams had just passed away, and I've always wanted to watch this movie because I've walked past it in the video store like a billion times. and you like Bridges. Bridges is amazing. I love Robin Williams. Why haven't I seen this movie yet? Um, so, Willie, how did you feel about The Fisher King? I'd actually never seen this movie, which is the first time, not that I've seen everything, but I was surprised by that. Um, I actually, for some reason, I thought I had seen it. Start when I started to watch it, I was like, I've not seen this movie. Um, I, I like Terry Gilliam, mm-hmm. um, generally. I think he's an absolute madman, but that's why I like him. He's the kind of madman I enjoy watching. Um, and the two leads are great. This is kind of at a point when I think both of them were really hitting strides in their careers. I mean, they had seen other strides even after this. But yeah. this was really a nice a high point for both those guys. And, you know, um, Bridges is walking kind of the more dramatic roles. And then mm-hmm. Williams at this time, of course, is pretty much straight comedy up until this point. Yeah, this, I think this is one of the first more dramatic roles for him. I mean, he's very funny in the movie. But, yeah. Um, and, of course, you... you, you What's interesting is taking Terry Gilliam, who is a director that essentially every single one of his movies is either a dream or a nightmare. <laughs> and, and I mean, really, truly, the man, the man can take a scene as simple as a character walking down a hallway and somehow give it some sort of weird dreamlike quality or make it look like you're in a pop-up book or something. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Um, but anyway, this is a very straightforward movie, really, for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and I think in the hands of... A more straightforward director, it could be either maybe a little too melodramatic or a little too by the numbers or hokey or wouldn't feel genuine, but this one totally does. Um, and he manages to insert those signature crazy Terry Gilliam isms um, into the movie, but they feel natural. And they do a really good job of kind of capturing the, the madness that somebody can be going through at a time when they've experienced something as traumatic as. as Robin Williams' character experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really what's interesting is that he does a good job of showing you how that madness can sometimes be contagious and, and can, you know, take people that are seemingly very, um, 
I don't know, maybe not completely well balanced, but a little more uh, on point than than Williams' character is, and, and kind of drag them down in the mud a little bit. And sometimes it's not such a bad thing. So, yeah. um, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, great performances all around. Robin Williams is uh, uses his signature manic, you know, um, all over the place stuff in a different way here and i and it's it's cool because when you i know like the first dramatic roles i had seen him in were later on we talked a little bit about it one hour photo uh, insomnia and he plays kind of more quiet um more intimidating characters there that are you know he, the total opposite of what you expect from Robin Williams this one he's playing a very sad demented character but he's doing it with that signature flair of Robin Williams mm-hmm. and it fits the role so well that you don't you don't think he's just doing a shtick just because that's all he knows. And we know he knew, you know, by now we figured out that he was, he had a whole range of emotions he could show on screen. Yeah. But, um, it totally fits the character. I love, I love the, um, there's some really cool symbolism with, uh, with knights and, and, uh, you know, uh, chivalry and medieval times and all that, all that stuff. And it, it, it works really well. There's, there's some cool stuff going on there with the imagery of, of, of knights and, the Holy Grail and all these things, and they tie really well into the struggles that both the characters are going through. It's just it's a very cool movie. It's interesting. It doesn't necessarily end the way you expect it to, or go down the path you expect it to. But I think that's because Terry Gilliam was in charge, and he, you can tell he wanted to make more than just a, a drama. Yeah, and and he did a very good job of it. I I really enjoyed this. I would watch it again. I think that, I think it actually would be rewarding upon repeat viewings. Mm-hmm. I think you might be able to take more from it. Yep. But yeah, no, I'm I'm very happy I watched this. It's it was cool because I got to see a Robin Williams movie I've never seen. You know, during yeah. his prime. Yeah. So yeah, very cool. Very good idea to review this one. I highly recommend it. It's on Netflix for those of you in the country. I think through September first, so okay. hurry up. How how about it? Yeah. Alright, Tim, what'd you think of The Fisher King? I like this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I had seen this before, but it'd been a while. Um but it's just a really, it's a nice movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wish Terry Gilliam, um, he did Brazil, he did Time Bandits, 12, 12, Monkeys. 12 Monkeys, Fear and Loathing. I wish his later career was filled with more movies like this mm-hmm. post Fear and Loathing. Because I think this is kind of considered a minor movie in a lot of these, and probably the main three yeah. um, in their filmography. But I wish he had more minor movies like this, because yeah. I think... I think he's really good at kind of melding um, the fantastic and uh, the realistic. It, it's good that it has him. And the reason I said um, when you said the book was better than the movie is because mm-hmm. I think the screenwriter to this basically came out and said, it's a good thing Terry Gilliam directed this because he undercuts a lot of the overbearing kind of sweetness. Because yeah. it can get yeah. very sappy, but... It maintains kind of a sharpness and an edge throughout that I think kind of helps it. Um, it never, never tips over into melodramatic. I mean, yeah. it does, but it doesn't. It, it's not a. It doesn't bother me. Um, I don't have a lot to say about this movie. Uh, Robert Robin Williams is good in it. Yeah. <laughs> He's very good. It's. At, I think this is one of his more. I can't remember at the time if this came after, like Awakenings and Dead Poet Society. Not I don't sure. remember the years on that. But Fisher I know this King's is ninety one. So oh, this is after that. This is after that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's very good in this. Jeff Bridges is really good in this. Yeah. Um, the, the shock jock thing. I, I like the way. I mean, it's it's a fable. It's a morality tale. Um, about mm-hmm. this way you. I mean, even. I'm a I'm a shock jock. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so I understand. <laughs> I, I like to push the buttons of the people. So I understand Jeff Bridges' character. <laughs> it hit home for you. Yeah, it hit home. And I reevaluated my life during this. But it is kind of an awkward movie to watch after Robin Williams' death. A little bit. A little bit, because it kind of hits close to home. Mm-hmm. So be prepared for that. But watch it. It's good. I liked it. All right. Nick, The Fisher King. Um, it's a it's a good movie. I had I had seen it once before, probably when I was in my late teens, I think. Um, kind of when I was discovering, when I was really into Monty Python, I think, and I was kind of dipping into Terry Gilliam's other works. And uh, so it's been it's been interesting having like probably a, a nine to ten year gap between viewings of this movie. It was also one of the ones that uh, this was one of the early movies to come out on DVD like one of those random ones like, like, like Air Force <laughs> like clippy case yeah, yep. yeah yeah like Air Force One I think was the first DVD and I'm pretty sure my dad bought it it was like that and War Games yeah this. and then and, and The Fisher King was one of those really early ones and my dad bought it and he was always like oh it's a really good movie and so I think I, I watched it when he got it and uh, I, I probably would have been like 15, 16 but um, anyway yeah, it's, a, it's a really good movie I can't say it's a great movie because mm-hmm. I think it it falls apart in the third act but it's um it's a very it's a very good movie and it, it's it's keeps you engaged yeah i think for for a while and it's it's a little long for what it needs to be i think but it's uh the performances are all very good i think the whole time i was watching it i was like i was thinking this is a weird one for robin williams mm-hmm. because he did he did some heavier stuff you know later on and he did some some more serious stuff but this watching him in the hands of a director that I felt like was taking a more active hand in his performance than normal. Because Robin Williams, I think they tend to just be like, turn him loose. Yeah. In this movie, he felt very aimed by Terry Gilliam. No, that's, and, yeah. and his performance felt very rounded off and polished at the edges. And, I, and it, it really came through while I was watching because I was just thinking, this is not Robin Williams just like, let the dog off the chain and let him go. He felt, he felt reined in here and there and like kind of I want you to say, do do your thing, do what you want to do, but do it this way. And uh, he actually felt directed for once, and I really dug that. Yeah. But Terry, I have a whole new appreciation for Gilliam's direction because his all of his weirdo point of view stuff and his obscenely wide lenses, like right up in people's faces yep. and and just distorting everything. It's mm-hmm. very very cool. He really is like, yeah, we're gonna fuck with these viewers right now, <laughs> and like really, I gotta earn your guys' explicit tag back because it's, it's been absent. Um, that insanely long dolly zoom up oh, to the castle huge, was so huge, beautiful. Huge crane moves. Yeah. And all of the opening shots of Jeff Bridges' studio are the coolest thing. Yeah. All these weirdo... I'm like, man, he really, like... He is thinking about every shot. Like, mm-hmm. This is at a point, I think, in movies where there, there were no... Because you, you watch a lot of movies now and you're like, okay, why does this movie have director? Like, it's just shot of actor shooting at other actor. And you don't feel like an active... You can tell Gilliam really, like... Put, you know, rolls up his sleeves and gets his arms in the dough, and is like, "We're gonna make this thing, and and we're gonna do it my way." And it's really cool. Like he just very, very, very good. I wish that not all of his movies were plagued by like the twelve gods that just want to stop him from making movies all the time, <laughs> or whatever kind of dark hoodoo shit is going on. Because the poor bastard just can't cut a break. I was going to say, Tim, he'd have more of the smaller movies like this if he wasn't trying to make Dunkin' He's got another one coming out, though, doesn't he, this year or next year? Yeah. With, uh, Christopher, Christoph Waltz? Yeah. He's still working on the Don Quixote one, too. He, he like, recast it, and he actually is rewriting the script every, like, five years to keep it, like, relevant. It's interesting. They just had an article about it 
uh, that I read that was very cool. He's nothing if not persistent. Yeah, the Don Quixote movie now is going to be like a modern movie, where instead of a period movie, before it was about a modern guy getting sent back in time, and now it's like a modern film, and I'm, I'm curious to see if, if it gets made. But anyway... Um, Apparently his movie came out last week in limited release. Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Or no, on, on the internet, so we could have reviewed that, but we didn't. Well, anyway, sorry. <laughs> we're kindly if, if, if anything. Yes. Uh, the, but Jeff Bridges is very good. Uh, I really, this is a, a really strong role for him. I think is very cool, and he brings he brings a lot to it. Uh, Mercedes Rule, I love her. She is so awesome. Yeah, she's and yeah. she I think is one of the great like unsung like screen dames of the '90s. I forgot about <laughs> her, and she's so good in this. She's yeah. really really good, and I always like just think she's really cool. And she has this. Uh, Awesome arc, and she's in several episodes. Actually, a whole season of Frasier. That's exactly. <laughs> Nikki goes, "What do I know her from?" And then she oh. goes on and she goes, "Oh, she's really good in Frasier. She's amazing yeah. in Frasier, and she has all these hilarious scenes with in it. And she just is that actress where she can totally hold her own against the guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I always thought she was really good for just she's like she's cute and she's funny and she's tough and she's sexy and like she's got that weird voice and just strange facial expressions and she's very fun to watch. And she is so awesome in this movie, the way she pushes Jeff Bridges around mm-hmm. and just like, oh, she's so good. And the way her and Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges, the three of them together, interact in this movie is just phenomenal. They feel like such real people. Yeah. So I, I wish she was in a lot more stuff. Like she, she flirted with huge success there for a while, but never quite. She's it. baller in Last Action Hero. Right, yeah. She's in a lot, she's in a lot of stuff. She was in war, uh, The Warriors, like one of her earliest roles. Yeah. Yeah. I remember back then being like, oh, yeah, it's a little from Frazier. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it's a it's a really it's a really strong movie. I, I definitely recommend. Uh, a lot of the the visuals are just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Anything involving the Red Knight is terrifying, and uh, it's it's just great. So earlier I said it wasn't great. It might be great. I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it in spoiler territory. All right. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I think it is one that I would definitely need to revisit in order to really everything that I think I could get out of it uh, but it definitely I think it is an interesting one to watch after you know Robin Williams passed away I think it's it, it's definitely one of those first movies where he gets to show that he's got that depth as Willie was saying he's got a range that he can really play with when, when he's when he's you know trying to put together a performance and and it is I I didn't really think about it during the movie but like Nick said just kind of Terry Gilliam focusing Robin Williams being like you are going to do the all over the place but I want you to arrive at this point at the end or just however he might have gotten him to you know play with these are the beats I want you to hit throughout your manic thing yeah however that actually went down which would be interesting to kind of learn about I think it you know they must have really been able to kind of communicate with each other and get, get those points across. Um, is This does feel like, as somebody who's not watched a ton of Terry Gilliam, I've seen probably half of 12 Monkeys and all of Fear and Loathing, I feel like this is the first one that really, like, I could actually engage with and actually, like, hold on to, and there's something concrete there. I noticed something kind of weird. Did anybody else watch it on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Did you watch it with the subtitles? No. Oh, that's... It was really, really strange. They're strange. They, um, they censor the swear they words. They censor the swear words. Yeah. Like, Interesting. Yeah. Even though it... Like friggin' instead of... Yeah. yeah. My, my... The weird thing about mine, I felt like it was dropping frames. 
and I didn't know if it was Terry Gilliam or if it was Netflix. There was one spot where it was like a like like a really bad edit, and I swear it was not Netflix doing anything. It was like look like this, and let's go to like the next scene, kind of like it like like it missed a frame, but it was like it almost felt like it was there in the movie. Does it make sense? Yeah, I did notice one bad edit, but it wasn't it wasn't a dropped frame. It was straight up just a cut. It was okay. very straight. Like it, it couldn't have been dropped frames that, because that it was smooth for me. There wasn't any like sound judder that was like happening during that. It was very strange, but it kind of gave it this really weird ethereal quality. <laughs> it was like, man, Terry Gilliam. <laughs> He's like sitting there with the with the print, like cutting out a frame every like every eleven frames. But it kind of added to the movie a little bit. Well, the movie had some some strange some strange edits during a lot of the uh, a lot of Robin Williams's kind of hallucinatory halluc- hallucination yeah. sequences. There were some some strange edits where I was like, I don't know if they storyboarded this part too thoroughly, or if they just shot and then were like, whatever. But I like I was like, this is throughout the whole movie. I was noticing gotcha. like, maybe it was weird. Issues, yeah. It seems so, like Netflix because yeah. I was watching another movie on Netflix and I was having weird streaming issues the other day. Okay, that's strange. But I, I did enjoy this movie quite a bit. There was an Alex's Tears moment. We can get into it in spoilers, but. Um, I think, and it was really cool. Like I've never really seen. <laughs> this is the most normal I've seen Amanda Plummer be <laughs> in anything really. Just and it was kind. Of, it was cool to kind of see her in like an endearing character. It's not fair. I didn't talk about her at all because she's very good too. Yeah, those, yeah, yeah, those two are really good out. together. Her yeah. and Robin Williams. They have. They have uh, the the whole scene in the Chinese restaurant is. Oh, that's absolutely. It's amazingly well done. And the way that scene ends is really slick. Like I, I totally didn't. Remember that. There's a few scenes you always remember from like well, the first time I saw it, like 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 I said, nine ten years ago. But the scene, the way the the way the scene in the, in the restaurant ends is really good. But it's not really spoilery. But whatever, I'll save it. All right, we'll jump into spoiler cherry real quick. Um, check it out on Netflix in the next couple days because it's going to be gone apparently. Yeah, but uh, definitely worth checking out. Jeff Bridges is amazing. Always, always amazing. He's really good. Um, yeah, uh, we'll take a quick spoiler break and we'll be right back. Alright, welcome to Spoiler Terry for The Fisher King. Uh, real quick, Alex's tears. Robin Williams' speech to Amanda Plummer on her front step is... Is that what got you? Oh my god. Okay, because I'm... Do you know how many times I wanted to go up to a girl and just like... Lay it all on the floor there. <laughs> lose my head I was gonna say you got really into that. Lose yeah. head. But no, it was it was it was so good. I I Oh, that's funny, because while I was watching the movie, I was seriously gonna text you at that part and be like, hey. Hey, this is this, this is so you, much. This is this you, is you Donnie, Quiz Kid, Donnie Smith. That scene, yeah, exactly. Oh my god. See, the, and you know what? I I I remembered most of the movie up until about the midway point, and yeah. that's when my memory got hazy. And at that scene, I actually couldn't remember. I'm like, is she kind of repulsed by his yeah. sudden creepiness? Yep. Like, I couldn't remember. I thought it would be Quiz Kid, Donnie Smith moment, and uh, I was like, the movie can. There's a fork here with which way this movie's gonna yeah. go, and so it's it's nice that it embraces the fairy tale. But just in like, yeah, uh, one of the beautiful things about Amanda Plummer too, like that little like as you're like I was watching her face like a hawk that whole scene to just try and get some inkling of like is she okay with this or is she freaked out by it or what? Right, and it's absolutely beautifully done. Well, and it's interesting too because her scene or her her speech immediately before that is very much. A normal person reaction. 
It's a great scene. Like she delivers that whole monologue really well, where she talks about, "Oh, you're going to come up," and then and she seems happy at first, but then she talks about how it's going to go downhill and it's mm-hmm. going to become. And it, it was interesting because her character is such a little weirdo hermit that you're like, "This woman's never been with a guy before," but it leads some insight to think, "Well, maybe she has taken a couple guys from the office." Yeah, yeah. Sure. that's kind of how I read. Maybe she stank on her, and <laughs> and, uh, and she's been through this before. But it, I thought that was an amazing, really humanizing scene. And I was like, suddenly, Robin Williams is the only Martian left in this movie. Everybody else is a normal person. Mm. Well, except for the other guy. That was a really uh, oh, Michael Jeter. <laughs> yes, thank you. I could not remember his name. He is so... Michael Jeter's amazing in this. <laughs> he's, you know, he's got a set of pipes on him. He can sing. I was like, wow, <laughs> Michael Jeter's actually sounds like a woman. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, no, that scene is very good. I, I really liked the way he was able to, to kind of. Turn that around, and yeah, I know. Yeah, when he was delivering that that monologue, I was like, "Yep, it's a gamble." Yep, yep. It's the I, shit you do when you're 17, <laughs> not when you're 35. Yeah. I just want to say I love watching movies now mm-hmm. since I've been doing this podcast because I'm I'm an emotionless husk. And but like <laughs> I watch them now just to figure out what parts Alex is going to cry during. <laughs> I'm glad I could add a whole new layer to your movie watching. Experience. And I thought it would be like like Nick. I thought it would be the part where he sings at the end of their dinner at the mm-hmm. Chinese dinner because that part's really amazing. Yeah. yeah, but that was yeah. There were lots of this was a really. I, I mean, I'm I'm obviously really glad I get to be on the podcast this week. No matter what movie we're talking about, it's nice that um, it worked out. But. Uh, this is a real big film geek movie. Like this was a good one to sink my mm-hmm. teeth into and yeah. get back into like mm-hmm. watching them critically again because that, that that Chinese restaurant scene is so awesome mm-hmm. and it's it's fun to watch. Like I'm sure that was the part where Gillian was like, "I'm just gonna hit record and you guys just go." Because yeah. Robin Williams and Amanda Plummer are so funny, just mm-hmm. like goofing off. And uh, but the ending, the way the way that you see Jeff Bridges kind of. Really connecting with Mercedes Rule oh, again, yeah. and and the way they they sit back and watch their their kind of fix up moment work play out, yeah. And the way the camera just slowly dollies back, and all the lights are down except for the little stage they're on, and you see the employees sitting there watching them, and you're like, is it because they're like, get the fuck out of here, we want to go home, or is it oh, because they're, they're actually yeah. they're actually interested in what's happening? And uh, it reminded me of. Uh, you were still there, I think, at, at my friend uh, uh, John's wedding. Mm-hmm. No, I think you had left by this point. Um, at the very end of the night, like, like usually at weddings, the reception you know, dies down, and, and there's a point where they're like, okay, this is your heart out, you guys got to get out of here. Um, there was like the last song of the night, and like all it was only young people left there, and they were all like dancing really dramatic. Oh, what song was it? It was We Belong, who sings that We Belong Together song? Oh, I don't um, know. I, I'm not going to say it, but anyway. Uh, everybody was dancing, and it was really hysterical. Like, dudes were dancing with each other, and everybody was just being really over the top. And, like, the wait staff was just standing there watching everybody. And I was looking at them thinking they're going to be like, man, get these assholes out of here. But they actually came out from behind the bar and danced with them because they thought it was so funny. And they were taking videos and stuff. That's awesome. And it reminded me, the, the, this scene kind of reminded me of that, where I was like, I like to think that the employees are just, like, watching it happen and being like, this is a nice moment between between people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was such a good scene. Yeah, he just he did a great job. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was kind of thinking about that scene. I was like, man, this camera's just moving over groups of tables. Like, did they get Kitty Pride to film the shot or something? <laughs> no, it's like it must have just been like a really really long like yeah, just crane crane. Yeah, yeah. He Terry Gilliam made good use of the toys, like the tools. He he really. It's interesting because I never even still I never think of him as, as a director. I think of him as an animator and like a writer. Yeah. And so when he does direct, I'm like, man, he's kind of. Yeah, Mercedes Rule, so good. I think she's so good. Gilliam's one of those directors that really does have like a 
like you could probably put on a Gilliam movie and be like, oh, Gilliam oh, yeah. shot this. Yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. It's there. There are some of those people, but Gilliam is definitely one. Of well, those he ones does. That. He does lots of really like he is not afraid at all to put a camera in an actor's face. Yeah, and like the 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 tight shots of Jeff Bridges at the beginning mm-hmm. are so awesome and like unsettling yet like hypnotic. And Jeff Bridges is not like... like has anybody ever seen Talk Radio? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. That is the shock jock movie. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eric Bogosian in that movie is absolutely hypnotic, and you buy him as... like he's, He has the voice of a radio personality. Jeff Bridges, like... I, 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 he does a good job being like the slick guy with the nasty ponytail and the glasses. And uh, but, but Eric Bogosian looks like oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a Bridges, shot. Bridges, Bridges has like the I get why like in the in the movie his like TV deals are a point because he's like Jeff Bridges is a handsome guy he's a yeah. nice tall strapping guy but his voice isn't like too radio to me it is now that he's older and he's a little more gravelly but even then I'm like listening to him and like his voice is good but it's not like. Too enticing, but those those tight shots of his face, I'm like, this is totally like interesting to watch this guy. Just go yeah. mm-hmm. But Alex, Sea Talk Radio. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's so you've been you've been pushing that one for it's a long so, time. Yeah, it's it's awesome. But all those shots of, of Jeff Bridges station his studio are so cool. Yeah. And like and weird how tall the walls are. It's yeah. just like really really good Gilliam. <laughs> really good Gilliam. But That's a good Gilliam. That is a nice slice of Gilliam going on there. <laughs> When I uh, when I said the thing about the third act, Tim, I saw you kind of. Oh no, that's just. Did you agree? Yeah, it falls apart. I think it falls under the weight of kind of the screenplay, honestly. And I don't. It's too long. I mean, it's two hours and twenty minutes, and this. I don't think this is a movie that warrants two hours and twenty minutes. I think this is a nice. I don't know. It should have been shorter. There, there's stuff that could have been cut out. So. I kind of felt the same, and I was just kind of nodding along with that. Yeah. I mean, I loved hearing I Got the Power one more time yeah. by Snap. It's just, it's so, like, <laughs> it feels like for two hours and, and 12 minutes, you shouldn't have to, like, hit the gas at, like, the, the hour and a half mark and just speed through the rest. Because right. mm-hmm. you get that very quick glimpse of him getting back into his life, and then he's, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, my God. And yeah, it's hard to tell how much time has actually passed. Yeah. That, that is a little bit... Tricky because it's like, wait, has it been like two days? Yeah, like, yeah. He, he doesn't. There is no time. Yeah, that's a little. That is a little bit fuzzy there, and I think that's that's probably the weakest part of the movie is kind of in that period where he gets once he gets back into it and he goes to get the growl. I'm pretty invested again. I was like, this is insane. Like it's insanity, but I love that he just at this point he's like throwing everything into this this quest that right. he's not. He hasn't believed in from the beginning. I I don't know. I think it's there's some interesting stuff there too. I think the. The fact that he opens up the front door instead of going out the skylight, because he looks back up the skylight and goes to go up there, and then he stops. I love the idea that, essentially, he wasn't going to let himself live with somebody else's death on his conscience, because he's done it once before, and he's not going to do it again. Uh, That was very cool. I love all the stuff with the Grail and the Red Knight. The fact that you see the Red Knight in stained glass on the castle itself, because it... It's interesting because at times that Red Knight represents the killer himself. I don't remember the character's name, the killer, but... Edwin. Yeah. Uh, it represents the killer himself, and at times it represents. This is really this movie's at its base is about a man letting go of the death of his wife. Yeah. That's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, two men letting go of that death, and I just I love the moment when he gives him the grail and he wakes up and he's like, "Can I miss her now?" Like, because like he's fine. You can tell he's like the moment that he thinks like he might have a, some semblance of a, of a new life with Amanda Plummer. That's when he has his worst freak out. Yeah. And it's really his own guilt about the idea, I think, of snapping out of this that causes him to go nuts. And 
when he's caught by those guys. And I want to say this too, if you historically, if you look at the time this movie was made and the time it was released, there was a lot of talk going on about the drug war, war on drugs and poverty and violence against homeless people. So that actually is a big. It, you, it doesn't fit now because you don't. They don't talk much about that anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think. But at the time, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, that seems um, really sad. And but he, he actually thanks them when they like stab him. Like he's like, thank you. I yeah, think. that was the part where I went, whoa. Yeah, like because yeah. he just wants it to end. Like, yeah. He just wants this nightmare to be over because that thing's that just scene was so sweet though when the guys first get out of the jeep and the shadow of the night is cast yeah, on yeah. the wall but it's not what's in the foreground I was yeah. like Ooh, this is sweet yeah that whole sequence is really that I mean, it's really it's, it's insane stuff. Movie gets violent at like two parts. The, when they first slash him with the with the yeah. blade, it's pretty gross. But when his wife gets shot, yeah. that was straight up. But that murder. but in a weird way, but, but that helps it honestly. It does. It, it does because uh, I, there were parts where I was sitting here going, sitting there going like, man, this is like an adorable depiction of homelessness in America. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, look at these like what they're pitching at the end. Yes, of the it, like, yeah. that scene helped me through the movie because at first I'm like, oh, look at yeah, look at these cute homeless people. Let's yeah. go try to save them. And but that scene actually helped because it kind of called it, it called it for its bullshit. Yeah. Um, so no, I think it needed to be that violent. I think yeah. most of the time I would have been like, like if I was watching, oh god, there's a really similar movie that was made much later with. Uh, Rain Over Me with Sandler, Adam Sandler, and uh, Don Cheadle. Cheadle. Pretty good movie, although that one more of the straightforward drama room, mm-hmm. which this one avoided. But um, that, like, if, if, that, if that had happened in that movie, I would have been like, that was too much. Like, like, <laughs> like I, I don't want to see Adam Sandler's wife's burning corpse falling from the World Trade Center. That does not sound pleasant to me. But this one, it fits because, like, I mean, up until that point, you're kind of like, okay, he's absolutely nuts, and I get it, his wife died, but you don't understand the extent of that. Yeah. His wife just didn't die, like... He wound up eating her brains. Like yeah. this is like the most horrific possibility. So it just that that brutality in that scene actually like really it's super Robocop, but it's interesting it, to think of like Gilliam playing with the balance and kind of like placing elements here and there. Yeah, because yeah. the movie the movie's relatively like like Tim was saying, lighthearted and, mm-hmm, and kind of yeah. fun and then when that scene finally happens, you're like, Oh my god, like yeah, that's it was graphic. And I think that that's that's a great that's another testament to the power of his direction because I mean oh my god how much violence have had the four of us in this room seen in movies oh, like, yeah. Yeah. and all of us were like oh yeah exactly like we we are largely pretty desensitized to mm-hmm. it and for that yeah. scene to have that much impact I think is it makes me wonder like if Gilliam were to tackle another like a movie exploring some other kind of real life shooting tragedy or something like that if he if he had moments like that if people would actually like. Maybe pay attention. Look at it differently rather than just like yeah, sensationalizing it, and, and think about the weight of what happened to these people and, yeah. and how people can sometimes not cope. Why? Why like soldiers come home with yeah. you know, PTSD and that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I think part of that too is that he does a really. I mean, I, I always like it in, in storytelling when they build up to an event or a person or a care, whatever. They build up to something in the story that it almost seems mythical. And the, the shooting in the bar almost hits this mythic status in the movie itself yeah. because all the characters are so closely tied to what happened. You don't ever see it. You see one mugshot of the guy who did it, and yeah. that's it. So by the time you've built to that emotional peak with Robin Williams' character, like seeing it actually ha- – you, you almost don't expect to see it. Well, even seeing Robin point. Williams cleaned up and bearded is kind it's of – a shock. Kind of unbearded. Yeah, like that event itself has such a, such a weird like mythical – it's all. It's very. It's very dreamlike the way it's even shot. Yeah, that it almost. It almost like it. It. 
it just sucks the breath out of you for a second. And then they go out, obviously it gets very violent, and you're like, oh my god, now it's, you know, by that yeah. point you're just, I don't know. He does a really great job of doing that, of that, that whole sequence is insane. I really, I really like the movie. Up, it's funny because the point you loved with Jeff Bridges going full tilt with the with the grail and everything is the part where I where I lost interest. Yeah, it, it I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little too much for me. Where I'm like, why is he dressed like Robin Hood? Like, where did this come? Why, why is he doing it this way? It's like, I was kind of okay with the idea of him like going in and trying to get the grail for him, but for him, like. Totally embracing the character. Yeah. yeah, I was like, why is he... What the fuck? <laughs> where is this coming from? It felt like there was almost a, a few little scenes missing where earlier Robin Williams would be like, you have to wear this. The Chosen One will wear this kind of thing. And like, yeah. at least make it make sense to me. Because I'm like, okay, Jeff Bridges being like, I'm not going to do your dumb plan. And then like going along with it, that that's fine. Like, I, I love the scene of him, you know, seeing the laser on the door and up with a laser, like a visible laser. It's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dr. Claw. That's fortress. <laughs> But uh, for him to go that that into character without Robin Williams needing to see it was kind of like a bit much. Yeah, it is strange. I guess I just forgave it at that point. I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm a long. Time I ago. loved like I liked I liked the more straightforward story of like you know, or, or I liked the hint of fairy taleness, but with it being relatively only in Robin Williams' mind. Mm-hmm. And when it kind of seeped its way into the rest of the movie, I was kind of like, this is getting weird. It felt uneven. Yeah. But I really love the way it wraps up. Oh yeah, I, I love that everybody gets together happily. It's a movie that I think if it had a, a downer ending, I wouldn't have felt as good about it. And it's not that I can't handle a downer ending. I just like, I don't know. I wanted this journey to have some sense of hope at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. For everybody, you want some, yeah. you want some optimism. It just sure. this it, like to have it end with him like still in a coma or something. I would have been like, ugh, like that's too much. I can't handle that right now. I don't know. Been, it would have been rough. Yeah. The, uh, I, the, the Jeff Bridges. I got to go through film backlogs and find all the movies where Jeff Bridges is combined with really awesome lighting for really good dramatic effect. <laughs> like the scene in Tron Legacy when he shows up mm-hmm. at the at the at the at club, the club. Yeah. is so awesome and lighting plays such a huge factor in this. And at the end of the movie when he shows up to Mercedes Rule's office and he's just backlit like an angel <laughs> and he's sitting there and his hair is perfectly combed and he's clean shaven and he's just in like a nice like shirt unbuttoned down just enough where it's still tasteful. I was like <laughs> This is hilarious, <laughs> and she and even her the way she kind of reacts at first, she's like mad, but you, she gives she's this little, she gives this little look like, "What are you, what are you doing here?" And she's like afraid <laughs> because she's so drawn to this man. It's so funny. <laughs> she's like, you can't just stand there like a statue and the, like, oh yeah, because he's chiseled from marble, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> look at him, he's chiseled from Lloyd. Light is <laughs> following him into your office. Yeah. Have you seen White Squall? <clears throat> uh, no, no really, never have. So you, good. you do that. There's lots of half half. Half unbuttoned bridges in that bridges. one. It's, he just looks like a sailor. Like I'm right. at least he, and he is in that film. He's a so. nautical-looking man. It's perfect. I buy it. Him at least Scott see the DVD cover because the DVD cover oh. it cracks me up. It's so wonderful. It's, it's really good. His giant face. His giant face. Yeah. <laughs> the giant head of Jeff Bridges. It's, is Bo Bridges in White Squall as well? <sighs> I can't remember. What did Bo? Didn't they do a movie together? Weren't was it the Fabulous Baker? Well, they, were, they were in. Um, was it the Bridges? They were in Arlington yeah, Road. Together. It was actually. Yeah. They, they were in Arlington Road together too. Ooh, uh, they were. That was just the most impressive history of film. Yeah. But, <laughs> don't ever watch Arlington Road, Alex. All right, don't do it. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. All right. Yeah, I think. I <laughs> think good blossom. So we'll take us out. We're we're way over time for this episode, but it was. I think it was good. It's good. I had fun. Uh, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com Let us know what you thought of the episode Everything we talked about Let us know what Unless you're a spam bot l- Yeah, well, yeah We got some Russian sleeper cell uh, <laughs> stuff going on with our email We will right not now. support your cause <laughs> Do not activate uh, 
But yeah, sorry, please, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, you've let us know who won the game because I honestly, I don't know, and I'm not going to go back and count. Tim We're all it's like, winners. It's like golf. That's Love true. Yeah. Score <laughs> Um, at MFN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, Midwest Film Nerds Podcast on Facebook, uh, MidwestFilmNerds.com for all of our previous 89 episodes plus all the bonus episodes and full show notes. That's right, we're getting close to 100, precisely 10 away from 100. Um, and let's see, 248-7335-MFN, 248-7335-636, leave us a voicemail. We might play it if it's not three minutes long. <coughs> <laughs> And thank you to those of you who uh, took part who took part in the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge uh, at my at my request. Um, who do we challenge there? We challenge Victor, right? We challenge Victor and Nancy Victor and you. And I think everybody was going has is going to do it or has done it. I Victor from the modern Gaffa? Yes. Okay. Yes. The modern Gaffa. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I think that's about it. Thanks, Aunt Mr. John, for our music and artwork. And uh, Comics Y, go watch a movie.